Here from Acts chapter 20, 24 through 27. Words recorded by Luke of what Paul said to the Ephesian elders. I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. You may be seated. So we're in a series called Gospel Answers. We started a little over a month ago and looked at the the question of whether or not we can trust Scripture. Uh, the, the, the scriptures, the holy word of God is, is what contains and tells us this gospel story of creation and fall and redemption and restoration. And, and, and it's in the ancient uh, book and we have copies of copies and, and, and the reality is, is, is it trustworthy? If, if it contains the gospel, can we, we trust on it? Can we rely on it to base our life on it? And I think that we can. And I hope that you would agree with that. So we spent a couple of weeks talking about uh, Christians in conflict. Um, does the gospel resolve conflict? Can we uh, turn to the gospel for, for reconciliation? And then last week we looked at, at Christians in, in depression and, and does the gospel look to our isolation? Does it address that? Now, before we get into today's topic, I want to ask something from you. And before I tell you what it is, I know that for some of you, you'll, you'll see this topic up on the screen and you'll want to leave. Uh, for the last 20 months, um, you will have been going through some very stressful things, and maybe it's in your workplace, or maybe that's within your own family relationships, and maybe you're burnt out and you're tired, and you didn't come to this place this morning to walk through this stuff again. So you'll want to leave. And so what I want to ask you to do is, will you stay, and will you hear, and will you pray? Will you pray that God would have something encouraging to say to you this morning that will be helpful and that will lead you in faith and lead you towards repentance and lead you toward reconciliation with other people? Would you pray that that God would speak to you and would you stick it out and listen for what he might say? Now, on the other hand, there will be those of you who will see this topic and you'll be saying, yes, I can't wait to dive into this. I can't wait to talk about this. I can't wait to, to sink both teeth in. And there'll be things that you'll be wanting me to say about this topic. And they'll be looking around the room and you'll be, you'll be thinking to yourself, I hope so-and-so is here because they really need to hear this. For what I'm asking for, for you is the same thing. Will you take what you desire for me to say and will you put that to the side? Will, will you take that person you desire me to say this to and will you put that to the side? And will you pray? Will you ask God to speak to you where you're at? Will you be be humble enough to listen and repent if necessary and turn in faith to what God has to say to you? Will you do that? I'm going to begin with Micah 6, 8. It says this, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness 
and to walk humbly with your God. This is going to be sort of the foundational text that we return to over and over again this morning. Uh, Tim Keller, in, um, in, in explaining this text, has a, has a really good metaphor. It's that of a, of a mobile. Um, maybe for, for some of you, when you were infants, your parents put a mobile over your crib, or, or maybe you did that for your children. But a mobile is this, this simple device that hangs over, over a crib, and there's a, a central uh, like cord or, or chain that hangs down, and then from that, there, there are two arms that, 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 that stretch out, and from these two arms, there's these counterweights, right? And usually they're like stuffed animals or, 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 or something like that. And then, and then at the center, there's this sort of center anchor weight. And so all of these sort of balance each other out. And so as this mobile slowly turns around and around, it's in balance and it doesn't fall over and fall on your child, right? And the idea is that it helps soothe your child and, and helps, you know, calm them and, and, and get them to sleep. Well, uh, Keller looks at, at, at Micah 6a and he's, he's like, this is, it, this is a mobile. There's, there's justice on one hand, and there's, there's kindness on the other hand, and they hold each other in balance. And then what anchors them both is this, this idea of what it looks like to walk humbly with our Creator. This is the anchor point. But, but these other two things, they must be kept in balance. If, if you have all kindness and you have no justice, then the thing doesn't turn. If you have all justice and no kindness, then the thing doesn't work. And so hopefully you'll, you'll, you'll use this as, 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 a, as a picture to, to help you guide you this morning as we look at, at both sides of this. Are you ready to get into our topic? Christians and the government. Christians and the government, are you ready? We're gonna wade into some political stuff a little bit this morning. Christians and the government, and you'll notice that there's a warning sign up there. Danger minefield. Right, this, we come to this issue and we recognize that uh, this is dangerous territory. That here before us is a, a plane of unexploded ordinance. And to venture in there and to take a wrong step, to, to make one wrong move, will cause an explosion. Only the explosion is a relational explosion. It, it, it will damage your relationships with other people. To, to make one wrong step could cause the end of your relationship with a friend or a coworker or a family member. Some of you have already experienced explosions of this nature. It's a minefield. So here's how we're going to proceed this morning. First, we're going to ask this, should Christians walk into the minefield? Should we even dare to venture into this? territory should we walk in secondly this question how should we walk into this minefield if we are supposed to go and then lastly what is the purpose of being in the minefield at all i'm going to pause and pray and then we're going to get into this heavenly father i pray for a spirit of humility for every single one of us myself included I pray that we would handle um, this subject matter with justice and kindness. And I pray that we would walk humbly with you. Father, I pray that we would be a community that is real light in the world. That the world would take a look at our relationships with one another and they would see a people who do know what justice is, but they also know how to love. And what a community we could be. So, Father, we give this time to you. We pray that the words people hear now are yours and not mine. In Jesus' name, amen. 
So the first question, should Christians walk into the minefield? Again, Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. I want to talk about this word uh, love kindness here. Um, in in uh, the original Hebrew, this word is hesed. And it means so much more than kindness that we have to talk about this a little bit. It means so much more than kindness. Um, one Bible scholar, Daryl Bach, put it this way. It said that the hesed is wrapping up in itself all the positive attributes of God. Love, covenant faithfulness, mercy, grace, kindness, loyalty. In short, acts of devotion and loving kindness that go beyond the requirements of duty. To, to have loving kindness towards somebody is that, that you have all of these positive feelings towards them that really originate from God, but you want to have them. You desire to, to have them and express them for this person. It is a choice that you have. It's not something you do out of obligation. You choose to love like this. So we need to have that in, in mind this morning. Um, and, and if I were to guess... When it comes down to, to justice and kindness, um, all of us will probably put more weight on one more than the other. And we're gonna talk about kindness first. I tend to put more weight on kindness than I do on justice. I do. I, I tend to, 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 to want to desire to keep peace, um, to heal relationships. I mean, we spent two weeks on conflict resolution, right? Like, that was my choice. I, 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 I don't like broken relationships. I want to work hard to fix them. Like, I want kindness to exist. I want a loving atmosphere. Like, I don't, I don't like conflict. But part of that is, is cowardice, as, as a fear of, of walking into the messiness of that. And part of it is just pride, because I care what people think of me way too much. Paul, back in Gen, uh, Acts 20, 24, I'll read this again. He said, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. Paul recognizes that his life, in light of the gospel, that his life is supposed to be less. The gospel is more. And so if we're going to be a people shaped by the gospel, we, we have to be a humble people who consider our lives as less than that of the gospel. I have to, to, to wade into these issues, and I have to be willing to, to have people not like me for the sake of telling them the gospel. I was uh, joking with Tristan um, earlier this week. I said, um, if there's ever a Sunday where I'm gonna call in sick, this Sunday is the one. I'm here. But there, there's, there's a need of humility in me. Paul goes on, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. As an elder, as a leader within this church, will I be able to say that? That I didn't shrink back from declaring the whole counsel of God. I, I believe what Hebrews says in Hebrews 13, 17 that I'm responsible for your souls. I believe that, that what is said about teachers in James 3, 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. The reality is, is the glory of God more important to me than, than the glory of self? Because one day I'll stand before God and will I hear, Justin, all you wanted to do was glorify yourself. You didn't count your life as less than the gospel. Or will I hear, 
well done. You preached the whole thing. You, you did not shrink back from declaring all of the counsel of God. But I recognize that there are some things that mean to be dealt with me. But do, you, do you feel that too? Like, do you wrestle with this too? Would you say that when it comes down to justice and kindness that you're, you'll tend to put more weight on kindness? You see, I, I think that some of us, when we, we look at this, this issue of political minefield or, or government minefield, what, we're, what we want to do is we want to wait for the airstrike. We want to sit back and, and, and like call in the Air Force to, just to drop a bunch of, of, of ordnance on this field and explode everything, and that way it'll be safe and we can walk through it. Some of us are sitting back and we just want to wait for the return of Jesus. That will be the ultimate airstrike, right? Jesus comes back and he will take care of all governing authorities. He'll take care of all the political mess. Like He'll, he'll, he'll handle it and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess and boom, it's over. We didn't have to deal with it. We didn't have to wade in. Because it's hard. Sometimes we lack the courage. And because ultimately, we're worried what people will think of us if we disagree. Some of us come down on this this side of, of kindness a little bit too hard. So does the whole counsel of God speak to the Christian's relationship to government? Does it speak to the responsibility of government to the people? And it does. Now, a sidebar here. Um, we will find that some of us as Christians are called to, to wade deeper into the minefield than others of us are. Paul says this in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As Christians, there is a work that God has called you to. There's something that he has, he has saved you for. There's a work he's called you to and he's given you passions towards that and he's given gifting towards that and the reality is, is your work is not the same as your work. But when we talk about the body of Christ, we see that some people are hands and some people are feet and some people are noses, right? We're not all the same. We have different purposes. And so you might find yourself this morning and you say that God has given me this passion and this gifting to go and serve the homeless. And somebody else might say, well, God is giving me, me, me passion and, and gifting to go and serve the, the, the pregnant teen. Or, or God has given me uh, the, the, the passions to, 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 to help kids in foster care. We could go down the list of all the, like, help the elderly, Right, All of these things, and, and, and so for, for the person who's, say, helping the elderly, and they believe they're called to that, and then the person who's you know, called to the pregnant teenager, for one of them to say they're better than the other, for one to say that, no, no, my passion, that's what God is calling all people to do. Like, that's not right, right? Some of you have been called to wade into politics and government. And so you can't look at, at other Christians and say, you're supposed to be as passionate about this as I am. Wouldn't be right. But some of you are called. And so I want to ask you, like, if you're called to wade into this and you're sitting on the sidelines complaining about everything that's going on, aren't you denying God's call in your life? Could it be that God has called you into government work in some way? Are you supposed to be working for the city? Are you supposed to be a police officer? Are you supposed to be a fireman? Are you supposed to, to, to be a desk clerk? Are you supposed to, to run for political office for, for Zenia school council or, 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 or for, for city council or mayor or, or some higher office? Are you called into that? Are you called into the military? There are all these things that we could be called into doing. Is that you? And if it is, don't judge others because they're not called to that. All right. 
I will say this before I get back to the message. All of us as Christians are called to something in this arena. All of us are. And we'll talk more about that in a second. So when we ask the question, are we supposed to wade into the minefield? I think our clearest direction comes from Jesus in John 17. This is what's known as the high priestly prayer. He's, he's praying to, to God the Father, and he says this, as you sent me into the world, so I've sent them into the world. In the incarnation, the Son of God is sent by the Father to come and live among us and live this perfect sinless life. He has been sent to us by the Father. And, and before he dies and, and resurrects and ascends into heaven, he sends us. We've been sent. Why? John 17, 21. So that the world may believe. We've been sent so the world might believe. Like, if, if God is calling you into service and in the government, in politics, in the military, or whatever, it is so that the world might believe in Jesus. To, to go into those places so that the world might know. Romans 10, 13 through 15, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. If you sit back and say, man, our governments and our politics is just godless. Maybe you're supposed to be bringing them God. Maybe you're supposed to be going in and proclaiming to them the good news of Jesus. Should Christians walk in the minefield? Yes. But with a kindness, a certain amount of kindness that, that, that is not passive. Second question, how should we walk into this minefield? Again, Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? As there are some of us who would put more weight on kindness, there are also those of us who would put more weight on justice. Some of you, you hear me talking about wading into the minefield and your, your thoughts are, well, let me get my stomping boots on. Let me go into the minefield. Truth and justice will follow with me. And we are willing to step on any mind causing any sort of relational explosion. Some of you are thinking about maybe, maybe the holidays, right? And Thanksgiving is coming and you've got your cousin who's gonna be coming over for the holidays and he's on the opposite side of the political fence as you are and you can't wait to dinner time and you can just take that grenade out and lob it into the middle of the table. You're gonna make that statement and boom, mashed potatoes go flying everywhere. Because truth and justice are more important to you than kindness and love. You're not worried about damaging relationships. In, in the book of uh, Numbers, there's a story about a guy named Finhas. It might be inspiring to some of you. But uh, there's a story, uh, the, the Israelites, um, they, they are being sort of, uh, sort of attacked by the Moabites, but not militarily. The Moabites are actually using sex to try to destroy them. And, and so these Israelite men, they're going and they're getting these Moabite girls and they're bringing them back. And so one day this, this Israelite guy, he goes and gets this Moabite girl and he brings her back to his tent right in front of everybody. Right? And, and God is supposed to be dwelling in the midst of these people and here this guy is, he's just gonna fornicate and he doesn't care who knows and he's just boldly walking into it, brazenly walking into his tent and there's this guy Finhas and he picks up his spear and he walks in and he goes and 
kills them both. And, 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 and the zeal of Phinehas is praised throughout Scripture as somebody who, who stood for justice and the truth of God. Some of you are like, Phinehas, yes. Like, I want to be like Phinehas. We look at Jesus, and Jesus goes into the temple, and he's flipping over money tables, and, and he's whipping people with a, a whip that he made, and, 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 and you can see the zeal that he has for the house of the Lord. And some of you, you think that's what, that's what you're doing. But you're not Phinehas, and you're not Jesus. The question is, is, is the justice that you're going for, is it balanced by, by love and kindness? Or is it vindictive? Luke 6, um, Jesus, uh, he says something that is, is, is really, really hard. Jesus said a lot of things that are difficult, not necessarily to understand, but that, that, that really wound our pride. And he says something incredibly hard. In Luke 6, beginning of verse 27, he says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. This is it. You ready? To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Now, he's not talking about injustice. Uh, later on, Jesus will be arrested, and he's standing before the, the Sanhedrin, and somebody comes up to him and hits him in the face. And Jesus turns to him and says, why did you hit me? He's standing up for himself, because to hit somebody accused of a crime before they're convicted is illegal. It's illegal now. It's illegal then. It shouldn't have happened. It was an act of injustice. And so Jesus says something to this. He doesn't turn the other cheek. This is not about injustice. This is about insult. It's an insult. Think about it this way for, for those of you who are into MMA or, or, or boxing. Do you ever see um, a fighter go into the ring, walk across the ring, and slap somebody in the face? No. Why not? Because that's not injurious. Like, that's not the way to win. Like, you want to win a fight, you hit, right? This is, this is not injurious. This is an insult. It might sting your cheek for a little bit. There might be a little bit of a red mark, but it's not going to last. It's not going to do any permanent damage. It's an insult. And see, the reality is, is there, there's a lot of Americans right now who think that they're suffering injustice. They think that they're suffering injury when, in fact, they're only suffering insult. They're only suffering insult. Jesus says, no, it's not about being, it's not about being passive. It's not, it's not, it's not turning your, your, your cheek to, to abuse. It's not turning your cheek to injustice. It's, it's turning your cheek to, 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 to insult so that you love the one who's slapping you on the face. You love them for the hopes that they might know and believe in Jesus, that they might find repentance, that might, they might find a relationship with God. Because the reality is, is you and I were once the enemies of God. And what did God do for us? He sent his son to die for us. You see, to love our enemies. We are to seek justice, but not a vindictive sort of justice. And, and let, me, let me ask you this. How, how Maybe a test for your heart to, to judge whether or not what you're experiencing is, is a vindictive sort of justice. If I asked you to stand and pray that God would bless Joe Biden, could you do it? If I were to ask you to stand and pray that God would bless Donald Trump, could you do it? Could you do it? 
I, I gotta be honest with you guys. The, these words, let's go, Brandon. They shouldn't come out of the mouths of, mouths of Christians. To love our enemy doesn't look like that. So how should we walk in this minefield? With justice. With justice that's not vindictive. Okay? We enter the minefield with kindness that is <clears throat> not passive. And we walk into this minefield with justice that's not vindictive. Third question, what is our purpose in the minefield? Two things. Jeremiah 29 uh, we are to seek the welfare of the nation we've been sent to. Um, in Jeremiah 29, um, Paul, or I'm sorry, Jeremiah is writing a letter uh, to people who have been taken uh, by, uh, by Nebuchadnezzar, the, uh, the Babylonians, into exile into Babylon. And, and Jeremiah hasn't been taken, but he's writing a letter to those who have been taken. This is what he says. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Seek the welfare of the city, the county, the nation in which God has you. The reality is, is we, as Christians, are exiles living in a foreign place. And God tells us, put down some roots, have some family, and seek to bless the communities in which you live. And the first way that we do that, is, as I, uh, Jeremiah points out, is we pray. We pray. Uh, Paul, 1 Timothy 2, 1-4 says this, First of all, when I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of, our, of God our Savior, who desires all people, all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Pray. You know, if, if you're sitting back and, and you're saying, man, the world is just... It's just falling apart. And everything's wrong with our political system and everything's wrong with the government and there's this and there's this and there's this and all these things that are wrong. Let me ask this. Are you actually praying for those things? Or are you just complaining about them? Are you praying that God will intercede? Are you praying that God will have his hand? Are you, are you praying for, 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 for the leaders of this nation to actually know and have a relationship with God? Imagine what could happen if they fell in love in Jesus, with Jesus. Imagine. Are we actually praying toward that end? Or are we just complaining? We seek the welfare of where we live. We do that first by praying. Secondly, by owning responsibilities. In Matthew 22, um, some religious leaders come to Jesus and they're trying to, uh, to, to you know, catch him in, in some way so they can condemn him in some way. And so they ask the question, um, uh, should we pay taxes? And, and they're hoping that if Jesus say, yes, pay taxes, then they'll catch him in, <clears throat> in, in some sort of like idolatry, right? Giving to Caesar, you know? But, but if he says no, then they can catch him in, in being an insurrectionist. And they can have the Romans accuse him. So they're trying to find a way to accuse him. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, he says this, 
But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. In other words, there's a responsibility that we have as citizens of the United States. There's a responsibility we have towards, towards the leadership and towards this nation. We also have a responsibility to God, and we actually honor one by the way that we honor the other. So the first thing that, that we're responsible for is paying taxes. Not the fun, funnest part about being a citizen, but it is. We're responsible for that. But the second thing is this, we vote. In a democracy, voting isn't a right. It's a responsibility. And for Christians living in a democracy, it's a responsibility we have ultimately to God. Do, do you really? We go into that voting booth and we're gonna decide on these list of things. These are decisions not just counted by the United States government, these are decisions that we make for the glory of God. So we should know the issues and we should know the candidates and we should take the time to invest and know for the glory of God. We vote. Thirdly, we seek its welfare by submitting. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. Verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, brotherhood fear God, honor the emperor. Those are the words from Peter. Paul echoes those sentiments, Romans 13, 1 through 4, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Regardless of whether or not our leadership is our believers, they've been instituted by God, and to submit to them ultimately is to submit to God. We're supposed to see government as instituted by God. But is there a time not to submit? You know, the context of, of 1 Peter and, and Romans 13, um, don't flip that around. Uh, look at Romans 13 with me for a second. Again, three for five, it says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Uh, do what is good and you will receive approval. Uh, he's God's servant for your good. Uh, if you do wrong, be afraid. He does not bear the sword in vain. Let me ask you this. What if the rulers are a terror to good conduct? What if the rulers are to good conduct? What if rulers are not servants for our good? What, what if the rulers have put themselves into positions of power for their own glory at the expense of your good? What about this? What if they bear the sword for those who do right? Again, 1 Peter 13, 14, governors are sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. What if governors punish those who do good and praise those who do evil? What then? See, Christians, we are actually also called to confront. Peter and Paul, they don't really answer the, the, those questions that I just posed to you in the context of them, but they do answer them through their actions in, in the book of Acts. In Acts 24, 
Uh, Paul has been arrested and he is sent to the governor Festus in Caesarea. And he's standing before the governor Festus and it says this in chapter 24, verse 25. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control in the coming judgment, he's put on trial and, and he's confronting Festus on, 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 on righteousness in self-control, and, and because apparently that he, he, he's not afraid of God's ultimate authority in coming judgment. Paul confronts him. Peter does the same. In, in Acts chapter 5, earlier on, he was arrested, uh, he and John, for healing a, a person and, uh, and then for proclaiming the gospel. And they're arrested, they're brought into the Sanhedrin, and the Sanhedrin say, you can't preach the name of Jesus anymore. We forbid you to proclaim the name of Jesus. And what do they do? They go out and they proclaim the name of Jesus. And they're arrested again and they're brought back into the Sanhedrin. In uh, chapter 5, 29 through 32, but Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior. In other words, Jesus is at the top of this pyramid. And you're telling us not to proclaim him. We're going to obey him and disobey you. There's a time when a Christian does not submit. There's a time when Christians are called to confront rulers and authorities. We see this in John the Baptist, who held Herod to account after he took his brother's wife. John the Baptist was arrested and beheaded. We see this in Daniel. Daniel, who was this, this young Jewish boy who was taken away to Babylon, and, and God, through a series of events, puts him strategically in the government, in, in, in a place of, of authority and power. And in Daniel chapter 4, we see Daniel confronting Nebuchadnezzar on sin. We see this in others. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Nahum, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah, all called to confront sin. Some, not always just within their own people, not only just the Israelites or the tribe of Judah, but oftentimes it's with other nations and other nations' leaders. Called to confront sin. I want you to go back to Luke 6 with me. In verses 20 through 26, Luke recounts uh, the Beatitudes and the woes. And the Beatitudes are exemplifying the Old Testament prophet. And, and the woes are exemplifying the Old Testament false prophet. And, and here's what, what Jesus says in, in this passage. Um, blessed are you who are poor, but then woe to you who are rich. He says, blessed are you who are hungry, woe to you who are full. Blessed are you who weep, woe to you who laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil, woe to you when all people speak well of you. There's the Old Testament prophet who was called by God and sent by God to go and confront sin. And most of the time, whoever they were sent to didn't listen, but they went anyway out of obedience to God. And the cost of going was that they were poor and hungry and they cried a lot and they were hated by everybody. And yet on the other hand, there are these false prophets who go to those leaders or go to those nations and they tell those people what they want to hear and for telling them what they want to hear, they are rich and they are well fed and they are at parties where they laugh a lot and everybody likes them. But one group of people gave up their lives for the sake of, of the gospel and the other group of people gave up eternal life for the sake of this life. Jesus points this out to them. 
The reality is, is God may send you to people who won't listen to you, but you go for him, out of obedience to him, regardless of whether you see fruit of that or not. We're called to confront. Um, there's a book called uh, uh, Politics According to the Bible. It's by Wayne Grudem. It's, it's helpful if you want to study this further. But in this book, um, Grudem tackles the question, what has Christian influence done? When we look at, at, at Christian history, um, what, what has the influence of Christians seeking the welfare of, of their cities and confronting sin? What has that accomplished in 2,000 years? And he, he says this, the Roman Empire... Uh, in outlawing infanticide, child abandonment, and abortion. That was, that was Christian influence that made that happen. A Christian influence that outlawed the brutal-to-death gladiator battles. It was Christian influence that stopped the barbarous practice of branding the faces of criminals. It was Christian influence that instituted prison reforms such as segregating males from females. It was Christian influence that ended human sacrifice among the Irish, the Prussians, and the Lithuanians. It was Christian influence that outlawed pedophilia in many cultures. It was Christian influence that that granted property and voting rights to women. It was Christian influence that that banned uh, uh, polygamy, uh, prohibiting the burning alive of widows in India, um, outlawing the practice of binding women's feet in China, starting public schools to educate children throughout Europe. And from the beginning, Christians have been the most ardent opposers of slavery. In Rome, Ireland, Europe, England, and the United States. And I know that there were Christians who supported slavery in this country. But when you look at the leadership of the abolitionist movement, two-thirds of the abolitionist movement leaders were Christians. Imagine what if all of those people for the 2,000 years up to this point had said, I'm not entering in to the minefield. I'm not going to go there. I'm going to preach passivity and we're not going to enter into that. What would be different in this world if we had not influenced politics and government? What is the purpose of the minefield? In Wayne Grudem's words, our purpose in the minefield is to bring to bear a significant influence. Significant influence. And we do that through seeking its welfare and confronting it. He goes on to say this, but significant influence does not mean angry, belligerent, intolerant, judgmental, red-faced, and hate-filled influence, but rather winsome, kind, thoughtful, loving, persuasive influence that is suitable to each circumstance. We're called to enter in with justice, not vindictiveness. We're called to enter in with kindness, So how do we do it? Return once again to Micah 6.8. He has told you, O oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. As I said earlier, I think most of us, because of the fall, because of sin, because we are still in process becoming what Jesus has made us to be, we will put more weight on justice or more weight on kindness. We will be out of balance And sometimes we might even swing balance from one side to the other. What will stabilize us? It's this. It's walking humbly with God. It's walking humbly with God. There's there's no one who walked in this way better than Jesus when he went to the cross. 
As God, he took on flesh and he came and he spent his whole life step by step walking toward the cross. And he suffered injustice. In fact, he suffered the worst injustice that any human being has ever experienced before because he was innocent. The only human being in history that was innocent, that was holy, that was perfect. He suffered the worst injustice because of his holiness. As this God-man, he goes to the cross and he pays for our sins. And not just my personal offense against you or your personal offense against me. Like he pays for the sins of, of dictators. He, he pays for the sins of, of violent men. He pays for the, for the sins of, of, of people who, who have done atrocities. And only God could stand up underneath all that sin and absorb the wrath of God in his flesh. But he does that so that justice is met. But he also goes as a man, one foot after another to the cross, and he dies as a man in order for us to experience the mercy of God. You see, if you're worried about going into this minefield and and not being able to maintain the balance between justice and kindness, look to the cross. Look to the cross, because you, you can't look to the cross and choose to be unjust. And you can't look to the cross and choose to be unloving. When you look at the cross and it becomes your guide, it becomes the thing that stabilizes you. When the gospel of Jesus is the thing that steadies you and enables you to walk through this. Think of this. Upon his ascension, he sends us the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the, the, the one with the, the, who raised Jesus from the dead. Like the power that raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. It's living in us so that we can walk through this minefield with justice and kindness, balanced. Now, imagine what would we look like to the world if we did this. You think about the world that, that, that is all around us, where there is so much hatred and strife and people at each other's throats and Thanksgiving dinners that end up in big family feuds. What, could we, what, what difference could we make to be a community of people where we cared about justice and we cared about love and we didn't sacrifice either? Imagine what that could be. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we desperately need you to soften our hearts and listen to what you have to say. God, I pray this morning, um, if there's anybody here who, who, who would acknowledge I, I put too much emphasis on justice. And, and because of that, I have broken relationships. I've damaged my relationships with, with my friends or my family. And I'll, although I may have been right, I wasn't loving And because I wasn't loving, I wasn't walking humbly with you. For that person this morning, I pray that you would would convict them of that, but then show them your mercy and your grace and lead them in reconciliation. For that person who'd be here this morning and say, "I, I put too much emphasis on the kindness aspect because I'm worried about what people think of me. I'm worried too much about the opinions of people. And so I haven't addressed injustice. I've been scared. 
I haven't spoken up. I haven't said anything when I needed to. For that person, I pray, Father, that they would, they would also be able to repent and that they would understand your grace and your mercy. I pray that we would be a people that walk humbly with you. And in all things, we look to you. We are not greater than you. We don't have the right to demand more justice than you did. Help us to, to handle insults and recognize an insult for what it is and to turn the other cheek so that the one who handed us that insult might know you. Would you give us that kind of love, that we would love our enemies, that we would love people that are so hard to love, but we would love them so much that we would desire to, to see them have a relationship with you, that we would actually desire to spend eternity with them, with you. That will take a miracle, but you can do it in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.